My name is Stephen Wright. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at St. John, and it is with great privilege that I get to speak to you this morning. I'm going to have to uh, read really fast because I just found out that I only have an hour. Thank you. That was the only one I had written in. Our text today comes from Matthew, and it kind of starts this story right in the middle. Our reading starts in the middle of one of Jesus' recorded teachings. John the Baptist is in prison, and he and his disciples are having some doubts. That's not a total shock. They are human, and we do that. Jesus has just sent the disciples of John back to report to him the miracles that they, John's disciples, have seen and heard, signs of the coming kingdom. After they leave, Jesus begins to speak to the crowd gathered telling them first that John the Baptist is the greatest person who has ever lived. No pressure, everyone. Typical of Christ, though, he has set us up for the next line. Everyone in heaven is even greater than John. Pressure's off. All you have to do is make it to heaven. Typical of Christ, he's about to remind his listeners that getting to heaven is going to be a challenge. At the beginning of this lesson, and remember, he is speaking to us across the centuries. It's this. Any of you who make it to heaven will be greater than John, but the problem with you is, dot, 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 just as I was feeling better, it's coming. The American expression is, the other shoe drops. I wonder what the British equivalent is. The next line is parable-like. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. You're like children, Jesus says. You can't decide what to do. I played a dance groove and you didn't dance. I played a sad song and you didn't cry. The sad song represents John's call for repentance and his austere lifestyle. The Pharisees called him demon-possessed and they did not repent. The pipe is an early version of 80s hairbands and represents celebratory dance music representing Christ's comparatively joyous message. He ate and drank with sinners. That is a party, my friends. And the Pharisees called him a glutton and a drunkard, and they did not rejoice. Two foreshadowing messages for us to keep in mind. Christians are called to repent and rejoice, invited to rejoice, challenged to repent. The next statement Jesus makes, fresh on the heels of uh, his version of kids these days, is, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And can somebody tell me why this isn't on more t-shirts, bumper stickers, and posters? I'm getting us kicked off here. The modern version is, wisdom is proved right by its actions. Wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Christ has just a moment ago referenced his deeds in verse 5 of chapter 11. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, lepers are healed, the deaf are hearing, God's wisdom is vindicated. For those who will see, that is. For those who will dance in celebration and joy in witness of a miraculous healing. We are called to rejoice for there is good news. Not just in the healing of the physical body parts like eyes and legs and ears, but the healing of broken spirits is cause for rejoicing. Closer to home, you and I get a little resurrection every time we fall. 
to quote a Switchfoot lyric. We're called to repent, and if you're like me, you get plenty of opportunity. Skipping ahead to verse 25, Jesus says a prayer to God. Remember, he still has an audience, so he's still using his teacher voice. He also demonstrates a gift for sarcasm. He thanks God for hiding these things from the wise and learned, revealing them to children instead. You will notice there's two ways to be compared to children. It's still true today. You can be childlike, or you can be childish. Any reader of the gospel knows that Jesus uses them both. Earlier, the Pharisees were childish. Now, others, not the Pharisees, who hear the message of the good news are childlike. Pharisees called themselves wise, and they were highly educated for their day. Yet they don't receive the message that first John the Baptist and now Jesus is bringing them. It's a very harsh message. Think about it, trying to put this in context. Imagine being out there in the world witnessing an evangelism moment. A Christian gives a passionate plea for faith in Christ. And you're thinking, that's really good. This listener is about to accept Jesus. But the doubter ultimately says, pass. And then the Christian says, oh, thank goodness, I'm so happy. Can you imagine that? I would think that the Christian would want to double down. At least that would be my instinct. Jesus is often on the case of the Pharisees. And to be fair, they kept asking for it. Sometimes verbally, but mainly it was their lifestyle of self-importance and hypocrisy. They prided themselves on their education in the law and their self-view as wise. Jesus wanted them to see the joy of justice, mercy, and faith, things children gravitate to a little more easily than the rest of us. Jesus said these things God revealed to children. Those of us who approach love, mercy, and forgiveness are a good jump closer to heaven. Now, how about that? To be clear, I don't think we have to be childlike in all things. Loving our neighbor, showing mercy, and forgiving those who trespass against us as we would like to be forgiven would cover a lot of ground. If you're like me, you have moments to celebrate with Christ. Moments of forgiveness, mercy, and love. But if I'm being honest, I have Pharisee moments as well. Moments of undeserved pride, moments of selfishness, moments of thinking I'm more educated than those I'm talking to, and they better listen. I usually like to keep those moments out of the public eye, but if you know me well, you've probably noticed. Since it's kind of a human thing, I'm assuming this describes you too. We can be poor in spirit, meek, merciful, persecuted. All groups that Jesus blessed in the Beatitudes earlier in Matthew in chapter 5. We are sinners who need to come to Jesus for forgiveness. Some of us, again and again. We come to Jesus for healing of body and spirit. I don't know why sometimes God would forgive some people, some sins, really, or some of my sins. But we are told it is God's will to act in ways that confound human wisdom. And thus comes the invitation. In verse 28, Jesus gives his famous line to all who are listening. Those there at that time, through the centuries, and to us now. Come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The invitation is again aimed at the common people, the ones laboring wearily and heavily burdened. The audience in front of Jesus were the Israelites struggling to meet the heavy burdens placed on them by the Pharisees. Not the law per se, but that particular interpretation and practice of the Mosaic law. Among these, just to give a couple of highlights, the ritually unclean could not eat. Restrictions on the Sabbath forced people to ignore human needs. In chapter 23, a little bit later in Matthew, verse 23, Jesus will challenge one of these practices very directly and very harshly. In chapter 23, his challenge is on the specific interpretation of strict tithing of spices. But Jesus tells them they miss the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Back to the weary and burdened, the Israelites were also under Roman law, Roman occupation and law. Under this empire, the ruling elite and the tax collectors gained wealth, power, and status at the expense of the lowly. A social order that Jesus rejects, again, chapter Matthew, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. Jesus will tell his disciples that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over his, their subjects. But this won't do for this group. Whoever wishes to be great among you, Jesus tells them, must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In 2023 America, that's a challenge if ever I heard one. Back to the weary and burdened. Jesus issues his invitation to those struggling to meet the unrealistic demands of the Pharisees. The stress of perfectly following the code of their own religion and the unfair demands of Roman law, and he offers rest. typical of Jesus, we have to be careful what we ask for. Rest can be relief from harsh religious or political systems. Rest can be a Sunday with no work. Rest can be peace after war, or it can be the permanent rest of death. So when you pray for rest, you might want to clarify. Rest also serves as an image of salvation, when God's purpose is full and complete. In promising rest, Jesus promises new life under God's reign in heaven. Back to the weary and burdened, Jesus ex extends his invitation further. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke was a familiar symbol back in those days of burden-bearing can also be a symbol of oppression and subjugation. But yokes were laid on the shoulders of ox and uh, also on prisoners of war and on slaves. But yoke was also used as a metaphor with positive connotations, as in the invitation to wisdom. The book of Sirach, an apocryphal book, uh, which is a book of wisdom that's not part of the biblical canon, uses this imagery. Put your neck under her yoke and let your souls receive instruction referring to wisdom. Notice that Jesus' words are phrased very similarly. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, not give me your yoke. On offer is not that Jesus will take your troubles away, 
There is no come to me for a life of wealth and ease and a never-ending party with none of those so-and-so people around. We are instead told that we have a wise Savior who has something to teach us. Typical of Jesus when he offers us something, there's a bonus in there and a price. We haven't left the weary and burdened. Jesus offers teaching in general. He offers a way of discipleship, for he is not a tyrant who will abuse his subjects. But he is gentle and humble. His yoke is easy. Sometimes that's translated as kind. And his burden is light. We are offered the invitation and the challenge. To take his yoke is to repent and rejoice. To take his yoke upon you is to join the team, to be one in the spirit. To take his yoke is to deny the world and its empty promises. To stop chasing the false idols of this world, false idols that promise but don't deliver. To take his yoke is to reject our weary and burdened attempt to do it ourselves. We will then be yoked to the team, to the one in whom God's kingdom of justice, mercy, and compassion is breaking into this world and to find rest, not just a break. To take up his yoke is to pull the wagon with others, getting stronger, not weaker. Weaker is what a life of ease will get you. Following Jesus will be full of risks and challenges, but it will strengthen you in many ways. It will strengthen your body, your mind, your spirit, and your resolve. But to take his yoke requires us to repent. Earnest repentance. Not perfection. Perfection is an ideal that on this earth makes us weary and burdened. A life yoke to Jesus frees us from the burden of sin. A little resurrection every time we fall. A life yoke to Jesus gives us rest. A deep and secure rest from the burden of chasing our own glory, our own perfection, and our own idols that promise but don't deliver. Typical of Jesus, when he offers us something, there's a bonus in there. Take my yoke upon you is an invitation. We are invited to rest, to his teaching, to community, to joy, to the good news of nothing less than salvation. Did anyone here get a better bonus than that last year? Take my yoke upon you is also a challenge. And make no mistake, it will not be easy. We are challenged to lay down our old life at his feet to stop trying to prove how good we are at following the rules, to stop pulling the wagon alone. It's harder than it sounds. Jesus challenges us into a relationship with him, and it's a difficult challenge. People clinging to this world will reject you, tease you, and may even abuse you. You will be asked to give up your own glory, to put yourself last, to be servants. I made a joke earlier about how hard this is in 2023 America, but the truth is, this has always been a monumental challenge. But this world, the comforts it promises, and the urge to glorify ourselves are promises that don't deliver. I encourage you to reflect on your current spiritual journey and consider giving yourself to Christ if you have not already. 
to recommit, if you have, to dive more fully into a relationship with God. Full relationship will include the possibility of performing greater things than Christ did. I get chills thinking about it, and I rejoice at the possibility, but it also scares me. Jesus is calling. Rejoice at the invitation, at the inclusion into the family of Christ's church here on earth. Within that relationship, you will be blessed. You will be yoked to Jesus, one in the Spirit, where all of us will help you. And you will help us. Come, all you who are weary and burdened, and he will give you rest. Let's bow our heads and pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we hear your invitation to take your yoke upon us and to learn from you. Please encourage us, strengthen us, give us the understanding and the comfort that we don't have to do it on our own. We can bring you along for the journey to give us strength and so much more. In Jesus' name, amen.